I'm glad to be home. I'm Darren. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, to uh, add to what kind of what Mo was just saying, that this, so we just got back with 25 uh, doctors and nurses uh, from Haiti, and over the week we saw 200 patients a day uh, with real live problems. In real life, like one of the little boys had literally split his hand with a machete, and so his mother uh, went to the voodoo priest who put some weirdo something leaves inside of it and to, to heal it. And of course, what, what it did was get it really infected and made it really sore. Uh, but there's no other option. Like for that little guy, there wasn't an option other than to suffer unless a doctor came and, and, uh, and cared for him and stitched it up and gave him antibiotics. And so it was a great week with this, just this past, if you're wondering what it could be like to be a part of a debt free church, cause I've actually always kind of wondered that, um, it's pretty awesome. Uh, just this past month in just Haiti alone is almost $20,000 that we've been able to invest. Um, we're putting the finishing touches on a church building there. We're getting ready to go back to Uganda this summer where we'll plant another church. Um, this will be our third one there. Uh, almost $100,000 we've been able to invest there. And then locally, you're like, oh, that's great, Darren, about oh, way over there. But what about here locally? Locally, uh, my wife, who is basically a force of nature, I'm shocked that there has not been a hurricane named after her, um, because, uh, has been re, uh, leading the charge on a remodel at Place of Hope in uh, Columbia, which we've been a part of, deeply a part of for the past 10 years now. Um, and she is like literally Chip and Joanna Gaines in that thing. Um, and, and it's kind of fun to see her in her element because uh, she's down there literally uh, in sh- like large and in charge and getting stuff done. It's a 42,000 square foot facility. We're going to put new floors in there, uh, new paint, new walls, new art, new everything. Um, the idea being that, that, you know, architecture is spiritual. And to, to create an environment that basically speaks of what is happening in there, uh, which is healing and freedom and peace. And, and frankly, it's a, uh, it was an abandoned, probably haunted nursing home from the 1950s that looked exactly like an, a nursing home <laughs> from the 1950s. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, all this, like, all glory be to God, that's going to be about a quarter of a million dollars when it's all said and done, but praise him. And I, you know what? We look around and think, well, how, what are we going to do when we need a building? I don't know. I got to tell you, it beats me. But I believe that if we are like radically generous, because it isn't noble, this isn't my money, it's our money, right? It's our time, our thing. So for us, it's just saying, look, we could put this in a pool right now and save it and, and hope, you know, for a rainy day, or we could invest it where it's going to be used right now. And then when, when the time comes, if it comes, uh, we'll know. I mean, we're sitting on land that is paid for completely without any other plan, by the way. If, you, if you're new here, well, this was not something we'd, we'd planned. Um, our plan was we hope something neat happens. And, uh, and we were running out of runway at the high school, and before you know it, we were in here, and, and the Lord just smiled upon us, and so we're super grateful for this and super grateful for that blessing and what that blessing allows us to do, which is to be radically generous for the kingdom of God. And so anyway, welcome to Conduit. <laughs> this past um, three weeks, we've, been in, we've embarked on a journey on the pursuit of happiness. I've looked around the world, and our world especially, and uh, there's an article this morning in the New York Times talking about uh, what it really means in America to be happy. And then, you know, newsflash, social media is making us sad, um, in case you're wondering. Uh, and they were saying things like, you know, they, were, they compared two hotels in, in Vegas. Well, one is the Bellagio and one is, uh, I don't know, some other hotel. Uh, same amount of rooms, but the Bellagio has three times as many check-ins as this other hotel because we want people to know that we're at the Bellagio. Uh, 
people wash dishes five times more than they play golf, but golf has five times more check-ins than washing dishes. If you're thinking about it, if you're a mama, when's the last time you checked in at the, you know, on Facebook washing dishes? My point is, is that there's, there's a, we have a problem. Like Houston, we have a problem in America. And if there, I can't think of anything better to do than to rage against the machine of, of busyness and rage against the machine of trying to, to do enough and to, to, you know, this thing that has consumed us. And as I prayed through this, one of the best things I could do, I think, is I could actually, instead of you listening to me jack my jaws about it, you could actually meet somebody who in a circumstance that should not be content, in, a, in circumstances that this doesn't make any sense at all, I've watched the Holy Spirit work in his life over these past five years now. And so I've invited uh, Greg Murtha, and I'll introduce him in a minute as who he is, but Greg, would you join us? And would you make Greg feel welcome this morning? We got him. I first met Greg, I, I honestly don't even have the first conscious memory, but we all came, we all rolled into Nashville around the same time in the early 90s uh, to make our name uh, and to become big shots in the music industry. And, uh, and then Greg got smart and tapped out. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and actually, could you introduce us to like what your life was like in the 90s and just maybe a little bit of a bio of who you are? Um. Uh, last Sunday, maybe, I think you looked up to the back and said, look, I'm off-road now. You know, I think this whole service is going to be off-road, <laughs> so prepare. Uh, you know, what you do in Haiti, you know, you said you've been there 50 times. Yeah, maybe. Okay, you know what that provides you? It's a constant reset button, you know? Yeah. And, and so those of us that live oh. kind of in the regular world, and I don't mean that to slam the regular world, we don't have a reset so what we see every day is what we think the reality in the world is, but it's just the reality of our world, okay? And so I'm not answering your question. No, I that's apologize. all right. No, but it's true though. I mean, because I've, I've said that I think God keeps sending me there because I'm such a jerk that it keeps reminding me to not be. And it's Amen. A, a weekly, monthly gift for me. It, it, and it, it resets priorities. So uh, I'll go back to the question in just a second. But for me, the reset which is something that you would never ask for. But this Thursday, I'll be doing my 74th round of chemotherapy. So what happens when you go in and do chemotherapy? You see a whole lot of sick people. You know, and for me, it's a consistent reset of, I'm not gonna be here forever. But you know what the crazy secret is? Neither are you, okay? It's a truth. And so I call dying now, moving to the front of the line, you know, so I've seen tons of people kind of move to the front of the line. I have one friend that was diagnosed with cancer the day before I was, and he called and told me, and 10 months later, he went to be with Jesus. So that's a reality for me every single day. Okay, the second thing is, is, again, I'm not answering your question, but last year... You don't need to, just, no, I'm just well, going to go sit down, this is good. No, <laughs> so add insult to injury, is April 7th of last year, I had my first of two heart attacks. And I, I, I was, it was a Friday night. I, uh, I, I didn't think I was gonna make it. I mean, I thought this was it. I was coughing up blood and my lungs were filled with, with fluid. And, and literally it was like, I, I mean, I can't breathe. I think this is gonna be it. And the cool thing is I, I've been to the edge. I know what that feels like. And so the reality is, is I just said, you know what? Uh, wh what's important? You know, and for me, I didn't think like using you, for example, that. 
I guarantee it, if you were in that place, you wouldn't have thought, you know, I really wish we had had an 80,000 square foot uh, church, yeah. you know, building. Yeah. For me, I, did, I, I thought, one, I'm thankful that my son and uh, wife know Jesus. I'll see them again. Two, I'm thankful that our small group, which we have a group of people that go to various different churches across Middle Tennessee, and we meet on a consistent basis, and we consider that. I mean, this is church. That, to me, if you look at the book of Acts, that's church. Meeting in yep. your home and having meals and, you know, caring for each other. And I'm, I was so thankful that I knew they would be taken care of. But the only other thing that came to mind was, I wonder if that nurse knows Jesus. I wonder if that doctor knows Jesus. You know, and I think that's the reason for that is the consistent reset for having to do treatments for so long. And then looking around, nothing else really, really matters. So when, it, when it's all said and done, there's two things that matter, two things that'll last. And that's the word of God and souls of men. That's it. Everything else is going to burn. So with me again, going this Thursday, another reminder, I just think if I, if I invest any more of my time in things that don't matter, what would that be called? That's foolishness. That's a waste. And candidly, I don't want to waste my life. So, Which pre-diagnosis, Greg, was working for Bob Buford Halftime mm -hmm. Institute. You co-founded that. If you don't know, um, could you give us a 30-second? Yeah, Bob Buford is a, a, is a philanthropist out of Dallas, Texas, sold a cable television company. He, he's so great. He's so, uh, frankly, he's humble about it. He, he sold a company for $300 million. Uh, he, nice work. he got a hundred million of that and then in his book wrote, yeah, may the last check bounce. He wants to give every bit of his money away in this lifetime. And by the way, he has. So the interesting thing is, is that, uh, he would say, you know, I was making money in cable TV when even the dumb guys were making money, you know? So he, he wasn't too self, you know, he wasn't, he didn't think too highly of himself, if you will. Huh. But so he made that commitment to give his money away and then he writes this book and this book becomes a bestseller, and it's called Halftime. And the subtitle is Moving from the Pursuit of Success to the Pursuit of Significance. And we would say, and he would say, that you can, you can use the exact same skills and abilities that you use in your everyday life and work, but if those skills and abilities are focused on serving someone else, that produces significance. Kind of interesting side note is, and I've discovered this, is that Henry Nouwen endorsed the book. I don't know if you guys know Henry Nouwen, the Catholic uh, priest, writer, amazing thinker. But Henry Nouwen uh, endorsed the book, but he told Linda and Bob at dinner before the book was released. He says, you know, I don't think this should be, you know, I love the book, I love what you say, I love, but the subtitle shouldn't be success to significance. It should be success to surrender, because that's the ultimate goal. And he says, but I understand one, you wouldn't sell many books if you put surrender on the front of it. That's true. Yeah. And then second, he says that, uh, he goes, I think those that have a lot, if they went straight from success to surrender, they might be angry because they didn't experience the significance. So anyway, it's, Bob was an amazing man who invested all of his, lot, uh, all of his money. And frankly, I had an incredible opportunity at 33 years old to join him and to build an organization, what we called an institute for the second half. So there were people all over the world that would show up at his office, that would call, that would they'd say, I read your book, this is me, how do I do it? And so we helped them figure that out. Yeah, which I've, I've sent people your way over the years, because you'd meet people 
that you know are, have been successful. They're getting ready to have they hit the midway life crisis, and they're getting ready to either go buy the Ferrari or you know. And so it was for you for me. It was a great tool to be able to say, well, you know, who you need to call is this guy Greg Martha because he can he can tell you exactly. What. So on the outside looking in, when I heard that you had been diagnosed, what I thought was. Um, Dad Gummit, why Greg? He's one of the good guys. And you know, we sort of subconsciously do that. We separate the, the world and the good guys and the bad guys. And, and so I thought that. I was like, Dad Gummit, why Greg? You know, there's, there, it doesn't seem right and it doesn't seem fair. What, what, was, what was your reaction at the moment when those words came out of the doctor's mouth? Candidly, I was trying to figure out how I'd gotten my clothes on, okay? And the reality was, as I heard those words after having a colonoscopy, and those of you that have had colonoscopies, I mean, literally. It's a true story. I, I, I'm like, he says, Mr. Murthy, you have cancer. And I'm, Tracy, my wife, is standing next to me. I'm literally looking down and going, who put my clothes on? How? In, I mean, it just didn't register. It didn't, I mean, so huh. uh, then uh, they immediately scheduled a CT scan. So I had a CT scan, enough time for the, the drugs to wear off. And then we went to Calypso Cafe. Uh, and I'll never forget sitting at a table for two with everyone else. Everyone else's lives are moving forward. Everything's normal. You know, it's laughter and typical restaurant conversation. And uh, we made our order. The waiter walked away. And I looked at Tracy and I said, the doctor just said that I have cancer. And it was almost a question and a, a statement. And she said, yeah, he did. And immediately, tears started rolling down my face. And I just thought, you know, um, I don't know what this means. I, I, I don't know what this is going to take. I thought, we'll beat this thing. We'll beat it. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not a glasses half full guy. I'm a glasses overflowing. I, I think we're going to win. But, uh, I'm, but I didn't know what that meant or what it felt like or how, how hard it would be. But I just knew at that moment, you know, everything just changed. So, In that day, you were... 45 or 46, 46. Okay, 46 years old, you're the top shape of your life, you're out there you know, running 11 miles just because he could. Um, and then, the, like, I think in the, the book that you wrote, you called it the interruption yeah. of it. What, what was it interrupting for you? Like, were you, is it like everything is now before and after in your life? Yeah, uh, and by the way, I, I, I don't have any desire to be an author. I have no desire to start an organization. I don't have any of that. But over the years, uh, for the past five years, uh, I've lived out loud. I've been very honest uh, with the experiences, both the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I've had numerous people say, write a book. So uh, we just finished it, by the way. It's called uh, Out of the Blue. And the subtitle is uh, The Unexpected Adventure of Life Interrupted. Candidly, I've never been more alive. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. So, I'm sorry, I forgot what. That's all right. So, let me, let me and you said this, what? You know, let me ask it this way then. You've called this uh, diagnosis a gift, which for those of us who haven't had this diagnosis, that's a, like a, you know, the, the pinball machine just went tilt. Like what, and you say it not like hyperbolically, you say it and mean it, that it was a gift. Help me, if nobody else, understand what you mean by that. Uh, Pre-cancer, Greg, I was about performance and about uh, pleasing God. And I, I loved Jesus. We went to church. We, were, you know, we gave. We did all the things that you're supposed to do. But I did it to earn God's love. I, I did it because, uh, 
and I'm not slamming my dad at all, but I learned early in life that to get my dad's attention, I had to perform. So I had to be the captain of the baseball team or get the lead role in the play or to do well in school and all of those things. And so I just transferred that. I didn't consciously transfer that, but I transferred that to God. And so the reality is, is, is pre-diagnoses, frankly, when I was 33 years old, I know Darren has mentioned this, and I, I, candidly, I think more people should talk about what we're going through, because Anne Voskamp, I don't know if any of you probably men haven't read these books, but <laughs> ladies, the, the book, the way, to, the way of Brokenness, and she says the, the closest distance between two hearts is the way of brokenness. And the reality, when you lead, I would lead with, I'm president of the Halftime Institute. Sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Yep. Looks great on a business card, but it does nothing to connect a heart. So after the diagnoses, well, back to, I was 33 years old, had severe anxiety and panic attacks running a ministry. And it's because I just drove myself. It was crazy. It was no different than if I was in the marketplace. But, so God was trying to give me a clue when I was 33. I slowed down a bit, but I didn't really understand. I was afraid to slow down. Because I just wanted to do more. I wanted to earn more, if you will. Not money, but earn more accolades and praise and all that stuff. But when you're diagnosed with cancer, you're forced to slow down. Every other week, I have to go to an uh, infusion room. And I'm sitting in a chair with a pole with, I don't call it medicine, I, I call it poison, uh, pouring through your body. And then it forces you to, especially the early on, the chemo that I was on, I was out for three days. I mean, you're just, you, you can't move forward. And it was during that time that I learned, you know, uh, it's a difference between, uh, there's a, a chapter in my book called uh, God's Math. And before cancer, it was addition. We made an incredible plan. I have literally, I worked with the smartest people in the world. I did. I worked with Peter Drucker. I worked with Bob Buford. I worked with Ken Blanchard. I worked with these amazing Harvard MBAs. We put together these great plans, and I would ruthlessly operate against the plan, allowing no interruptions, by the way. To, and, and frankly, stepping on people to, to get the mission done because I felt it was that important. But where's God in that picture? So when I was taken out at the knees, I just, I can't operate against a plan. And so what, what would happen is, is that, well, a good friend of mine who was diagnosed with uh, cancer too, and she had beaten it, and she, she reached out to me and said, I want to teach you some lessons that I learned along the way. Okay? And uh, she said, there's a reason you're in the waiting rooms. There's a reason you're doing this chemo. This wasn't a surprise to God. So look around. There are people that need to be encouraged. And frankly, there's not many people in there looking to do the encouraging. So it became a mission for me. You know, I, I can go in now, and I can honestly tell you, from MD Anderson to oh, Baylor uh, Hospital in Dallas to Vanderbilt, uh, almost every single time I've done treatment, there's been at least one person that I've gotten to come alongside and pray with. And the crazy thing is, is all of those are interruptions. You think about it. I mean, there, there's numerous times when I'm kind of, one time I'm, I'm walking through the lobby running late, uh, my doctor was a bit late, so it was making me late to infusion. Um, I remember walking by this lady, and uh, she was holding a, a pink form and a white form, which indicates to me that she's a cancer patient. Her head's down, and God told me, uh, you know, stop and pray for her. 
and I had to get something out of my car. My infusion was starting in 15 minutes. I needed to get something to eat before, because I knew if I didn't eat then, I'm not gonna eat for a few days, and I need to eat something, and I just kept walking. And, you know, and I'm having this internal debate with God. So I get about 30, probably 30 yards away, and finally I said, okay, God, I'll do it. And I went back, and it was the day after Mother's Day. And I just walked up to her, and I said, you're gonna think this is crazy. I said, look, I'm not a pastor, and I'm not opposed to pastors. I think we should all be, be pastors, if you will. So uh, I, I said, I'm a business guy, I'm a fellow cancer patient, and I'm assuming you're a cancer patient. She says, I am. I said, my name's Greg. She says, my name is Molly. And I said, okay, Molly. I said, can I pray for you? And she said, yeah, that would be great. And so she bows her head, and I'm just about to start praying. And then she just kind of sobs. I mean, she's... And she says, I need you to pray for something else. And I said, what's that? And she says, uh, my mom died today. And she died of the exact same form of cancer that I have. And I just said, Molly, I, I, uh, give me a second. I'm not sure how to pray for that one. And she, oh, no, no, you don't have to. That's okay. You don't. I said, no, just give me, give me just a, and then it dawned on me. Yesterday was Mother's Day. And I was having a conversation with my friend Sean Lewis about how thankful I am that my mom, who had the same form of cancer that I did, had died six years prior. And I was so thankful because I knew she's in heaven and she's not suffering anymore. And so I said to Molly, and by the way, my mother's name was Mally. So I said, hey, Molly, this, <laughs> this is, uh, I said, the fact is, is my mom's name is Mally. She too had colon cancer like I have. And that also was how she died. And I said, I was just talking about it yesterday. How, uh, she's a believer. She loves Jesus. And Molly says, well, my mother loved Jesus too. I said, that's awesome. Then, frankly, Molly, this should be a time of celebration for us. I know it's loss. I get it when you lose your parents or lose anyone. But the reality is, is this is something we should celebrate. So it's interesting. And I say that back to the halftime thing, running the show, making our plans, go, 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 go. Again, it was addition. And we would see one person and the second person and the third person. It was good. We made great progress. But what I've realized is when I don't have the plan, the plan is just, God, what do you want me to do? And prompt me, and I'll do it. Even if it's goofy, I'll do it. Uh, I, I can, I, again, I've never been more alive, which is part of the gift. Uh, second thing is, is the multiplication of that, the, 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 the impact, the ripple effect that's happened as a result of just simply saying, yes, God, this is your plan, not my plan, and I want to be a part of your bigger plan. That's where I found life. You know, one of the things that for, uh, for me and my faith journey that I had struggled with over the years and, and, and candidly still sometimes question, like if, if, you know, if God is good, and all-powerful, then why is there suffering in the world? And that's a very common uh, thing that trips up young people especially. Uh, I, for me, it was at one point realizing uh, just because I don't know the reason doesn't mean there isn't one. Um, it's, an, it's an arrogant statement for a human to say that I, if, I, if I don't know the answer, then there must not be one. Um, I know what it cannot be. It cannot be because God isn't good or that God isn't, doesn't love us because he proved it in, in, in Christ and he proved it in the death and resurrection of Jesus, that, that his proof that he's good and he's kind and he loves us. Um, but when you think of it in terms of the, the suffering, I mean, the, the C.S. Lewis 
from the book, The, Pro- the Problem of Pain, which I read uh, probably 14 times in my life, because um, I definitely was curious and, and wanted answers. And, but he, this statement that he says, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to, that God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You've just, even this last week, probably even right now, have been in pain and the experience of that. Like, how does that resonate with you? You're a real live experience where you can tell us that C.S. Lewis is full of baloney, or is it, is, are you experiencing like that in your life? What comes to mind is what's the goal? You know, are we created to come to this earth so we can all have a peaceful lifestyle and have beautiful flowers in front of our homes and, you know, great meals and, you know, everything just kosher, everything's wonderful? It sounds good. Okay, but, but when I think back, even look at the uh, disciples and the apostles. How did they live? What happened to them? Seriously. Well, I mean, each of them. I mean, every one of them, except for one, every one of them uh, died a martyr's death. You know, it wasn't easy. That was not an easy thing. And so, by the way, what does, uh, when it's difficult, what happens? Well, I mean, again, I I have to go to an infusion room. You know what I find is there's not a whole lot of atheists uh, in the infusion room. You know, the reality is, is people slow down and they start thinking about things that are much, much deeper so to have the opportunity to connect with someone, it's, it is the absolute best time ever. I've thought about why, why did Jesus, you know, he was constantly interrupted, constantly inter- interrupted by people who had needs, who were sick. So he actually was there to help them, which it helped them in eternity, if you will. Um, I think about, I've thought about uh, telling a specific story. Um, and my son's here in the back, but... Uh, when he was younger, when we were first diagnosed, I was t- I, he was 10. Um, I, I'll never forget one Saturday he comes in, and this, by the way, is indicative of how bad of a dad I am. So I'm, I'm on the inside of the house. Jackson comes in. He says, Dad, I want to show you something. I, I've, I've learned to, uh, let me show you how to jump off the uh, diving board in the pool. Come out, Dad. I want you to see this. And so I come out, and he jumps off the diving board, and it's like, that's awesome. That's Jackson saying, don't tell this story. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> No. It would have been really funny. If it were. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, and then the next thing he does is that he, uh, you know, I, I go out, hey, good job, buddy. Go, you know, I go back in and sit on the sofa, and, I'm, and he says, hey, Dad, I want to show you. I, I can do a flip on the trampoline. Come out. So he comes in, and, you know, I, I go out, and I'm on the back deck and watch me. Hey, good job, buddy. And a few minutes later, he comes and says, Dad, I want to show you. I, I can, uh, oh, what do they call it? We call it power slides. They call it uh, drift in my go-kart. I get really fast. I can drift sideways, you know. <laughs> And so I'm like, hey, that's awesome. So that's Saturday. So what happens on Monday? Well, he wakes up with about a 100 degree temperature and he, he can't go to school. And I office from home and uh, my wife went to work. Jackson stayed with me. I sat on a leather sofa and his head was in my lap all day long. And I got to run my fingers through his hair. And, and as a kid, he could not sit still. He, would, he was always on the go. And it dawned on me, that was kind of a... Uh, Oh, the story of my life, running around trying to perform, trying to do great things. God, look at me, look at me, look at me. And what really brings God the greatest joy is for us to slow down and just put our heads in his lap. You know, so as a, as a dad, I just, you know, run my finger through. And again, I, I'm, I'm not, as a dad, thankful that he has 100 degrees fever. 
but I am thrilled that he's sitting there right next to me, just being with me. Uh, is there a way, it's hard, you know, so I, we, um, I took Jim and Jason with me to Haiti this week because uh, I wanted them to, to meet. And, and my point being that they, I can talk to you all day long about that, but it's hard for, unless you've been there, it's hard to understand. And so I understand the difficulty of the question I'm about to ask you. But what advice would you have for, uh, for me, as a father who has not been given this gift that you call it, what advice would you give for me uh, if I haven't had the gift to be able to try to l learn what you've learned, to learn from you? You know, again, I think um, you're, what we talked about earlier is that, that you've been to Haiti 50 times in other developing countries where people don't have it nearly as good as we have it. And again, my, again, it's, it's a gift is that every other week I get to go be with really sick people. And it's a reset button. I mean, it absolutely resets my equilibrium to not everyone lives the way that we live in Middle Tennessee, in Brentwood, Tennessee, where we live. So it, it, it's actually, I think, you know, what did Jesus do? I mean, he hung out with the publicans and sinners. He says those that are sick are the ones that need the physician, not those that are whole. Uh, my encouragement, and this is going to sound terrible, isn't to, th this should not be the, uh, the, the totality of your existence as it relates to your faith. It's just show up in a building on a Sunday morning for an hour and a half. You know, we all get to be the church. So my encouragement is to, to, to allow yourself and to take your kids with you to go to places that aren't comfortable, to go to places where people have needs, you know, go, go to where, I mean, you, you hear it all the time. You know, if you want to find Jesus, go, go find people that are poor. And so my encouragement is to, to, to don't, uh, don't allow yourself to be overly comfortable. Uh, knock that off balance by doing things. Again, kids are going to learn. They're going to catch so much more than they're taught. You know, what I've said over and over, and I know you'll agree with this, is that I, I think that, uh, you know, a trip to Haiti for a week is equivalent to about a year or more worth of Sunday school classes. You know, so put yourself in harm's way. And, by the way, very, again, this sounds really simple. Back in the pre-cancer days, I moved so fast. It's not that I didn't see sick people or I didn't see people who had needs. Or I would say that they weren't on my radar screen. I don't know if I didn't even have a radar screen or if it wasn't even turned on. I don't know. But I didn't even see that. But being forced to slow down now, it's everywhere. And again, the adventure of my life, the highlight of every day is when I sense the Holy Spirit's telling me to do something, whether it's pray with the lady in Publix or if it's Whatever it may be, give the guy a jacket who just walked by in front of our house, whatever it may be, that's where the adventure is. That's where life occurs. That's where you can really kind of impact a life, if you will. Again, it's anything we can do to get our eyes off of ourself and just going, okay, God, I want to be a part of your plan, that's what I would encourage. Okay, so to that end then, because um, by the way, I agree with that. Sometimes I feel like we're just playing Jesus pinata. I'm swinging and I just hope we hit something, you know, we're, and... And for us, it was realizing that 
uh, 52 sermons in a year. I'm not even sure that can do it. What just a day in an uncomfortable situation. And, I th- and maybe that's the challenge. I'm just thinking of it out loud right now that if because we have the ability to ignore uncomfortable situations. Uh, it's, we don't want to do that. We, you know, and we can literally shelter ourselves from it in our society. You know, we've, you know, nursing homes are off to the side, you know, hospitals are, you know, inside. And so we can literally not see it. You know, I came home from this country yesterday where there's nowhere to hide. So they're suffering right there on the ground. They're suffering right in front of you. There's, you can't ignore it. And so for us as a parent, I think that's some really, really, really good advice as a parent to be proactive, to seek out opportunities, whether it's a place of hope or at a nursing home or in a, a hospital, but to, to literally just keep trying stuff to make sure that our kids are, because it's, you know, it's happened with my kids. I've, we, I talked about it and I felt like the Lord really convicted me. They've, they've seen all the pictures. They were experiencing my life through a, through a camera like everybody else was, but you can't smell a picture. You can't taste the picture or your touch or experience it. And so we've, we've been proactive. It's been expensive for us, but we've taken our kids to these places. And, um, and I don't know that you have to go overseas, but right in wherever the Lord, just uncomfortable situations. Wait, the expense is not doing it. What do you get when you don't do it? You get an entitled Middle Tennessee kid that it's all about them. That's the expense. I'm serious. I no, mean, that, that is that, expensive. That, the, the absolutely, the, the investment, uh, hmm. I mean, that, it's not, it's not a waste. That's an investment in getting their eyes off of themselves and onto others. And, by the way, yeah. when you go to Haiti and do what you've done, when an earthquake happens or a hurricane happens, it's not just a news flash that comes across your screen. You know the names of the people that are impacted by that. Yeah. And it forces you to live differently. Yeah. Well, that's true, because that's what happened to us. We'd been working in Haiti for years before... And when that earthquake happened, all I could think was, these are my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have a few minutes left. We could go. And you know what we can? You can come back for second service. I promise you it'll be different. Um, <laughs> tell me this then. I, I just, I've really got two questions. One of them is real simple, and that's how can we, in, in, in engaging with someone like you who's suffering like you've been in, in this, the journey that you're on, and you and your wife and your children, and this is a question that would be, for all of them, what are things that we could say and do that are helpful? And just as important, what are things that people say and do that are, that are not helpful? Okay, what's helpful is don't ask someone who's sick or in need what you can do for them. They have no idea. And most people are, and I'll say me, prideful and don't want to tell you anyway. So my encouragement is just do it. I call that uh, act, don't ask. So literally, just stop and pray, God, what would you have me do for this family? What would you have me do for my friend? You know, and just do it. Uh, I'll never forget uh, sitting in my home, um, office from there. I'm on a a business call, if you will. And I was, it's my beginning of the journey, one of my first 12 rounds of chemo. And I look out and my 75-year-old father-in-law is pulled up uh, with his truck and a trailer. And he backs off of that trailer with this big, gigantic, powerful uh, lawnmower. And we had an acre and a third, and he just mowed our grass and didn't even ask us if we needed it. He just did it. And I had to hit the mute button on my phone because I'm just sobbing. You know, what a gift. You know, so act, don't ask. Okay, and then the next thing is, I learned this, and by the way, this is, uh, I'll uh, boast a little. I learned this running a marathon. Didn't that sound cool? You know, I, I run to the bathroom now is about all I run to. So I, 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 don't, I don't run anywhere. So... But I learned this, I got to mile 20 and I had a friend run the last 10K with me, the 6.2 miles. And he 
gets on the course with me, and his name's Steve. He's a great guy. He's like, man, you look great. Look at that. Go, go, go. And any of you who've run a marathon know what happens when you hit mile 20 or 21. It's like they hand you a piano, you know? You can feel really good, and then every step you feel it, you feel it for the rest of the race. And he was just, I mean, for men, I mean, he just went on and on. You look great. What a great stride here. And I finally just said, you know what? Just run. Just, I mean, I, I, I just be, I, I, I just want someone to be with me. I don't want someone to tell me how great it is or whatever. So, so often, I, I mean, if people just show up and are with you and you're sick, I, I don't need someone to tell me. By, by the way, something that irritates me is when someone says, hey, buddy, you got this. And I'm like, no, I, 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 don't, I don't got anything. I, mean, I don't have this at all, you know? So uh, it, my encouragement is just to be with people. Don't, don't, you, you don't have to cheer them up or be a cheerleader. That's good advice. And doesn't it feel counterintuitive? But when we say things like that, isn't it more about us making myself feel better than making? How can we pray? So the prayer, God, you know, Tracy Jackson and Greg, finish that sentence. How do we pray for you guys? Let me say before that is that God has a specific plan for each and every one of you. I mean, before you were on this planet, there was a purpose for you being here. And it's your, and I'm gonna, I was going to say responsibility, but that's the wrong word. It's your privilege to live in that. Because when you live in that, you will never be more alive. I mean, I, I mean trust me, my, my, it's the, what do they call that? The pearl of great whatever, you know, the, the guy that sells everything yeah, to yeah. buy the, the that, that's it. That's what they're talking about. That, that, buy that, because that's where you're going to have the, find the greatest life. Do you oh. want to comment on that? That's one last question. I know that was yeah, supposed to be yeah. the last one. How do you define hope now? Jesus. I mean, it sounds funny. I mean, it's almost like what's, <laughs> what's the gray and brown and little furry. He's got a long tail and eats acorns. You know, yeah. I, I, it sounds a lot like a squirrel, but, but I'm going to have to yeah. go with Jesus. Um, now, now the, the deal is, is uh, hope is, is, for me, the hope isn't here. The hope is for eternity. And I tell you, uh, I, I think following Jesus, doing what he asks you to do on a daily basis. Again, he's not going to ask you to do exactly what he's asking me to do. And what I want to tell people is my role and what I've been given and what I get to carry is that, that I, uh, I can go incognito uh, in an infusion room. I, I don't have to wear anything that says that I'm a chaplain because I'm not, but I actually kind of am. Uh, I, I go in, I, I'm wearing camo. I'm part of them. And so I get to rub shoulders with people that I would never, ever get to rub shoulders with, and I happen to be there. So that's part of my ministry. And I'm constantly looking about, you know, how God could use me there. And for you, it could be the marketplace. For you, it could be the gas station. For you, it could be, I mean, you are in places that Darren will never be. You're in places that I will never be. But each of us have a responsibility to use our gifts for his glory. And so you had asked earlier, how can you pray for us? Uh, you know, I, I, I sounds funny is that uh, I have, and I'm stammering because I'm, I'm in a debate with a pastor from Aspen, Colorado about this, but I've gotten to the point where I say, don't pray for healing. I mean, I, I, I've, I've, uh, I've seen more doctors than you can imagine. I know they say what I have is chronic. They say, you know, I get, uh, God can heal me. I get that. God is God. He can do what he wants to do. He can. But the reality is I'm a better person when I'm sick. And the second thing is, is that, that God will just use what I'm carrying um, for his glory, you know? Hmm. It, it's, again, it, it, it's, it's, it's back to that. I've never even said it that way. It's the, 
I know it, I know the field. I'm going to sell everything to get that field. And if selling everything means even my health, that's what I want. Wow. You know, because that's where life is. Hmm. I, I personally believe that one of the greatest acts of faith that, that God leave, gives his best to those who leave the choice up to him. That that is the greatest act of faith that you can say is not my will, but thine be done. Uh, you know, I, for a long time, I didn't believe that. For a long time, I believed that if you didn't pray for the healing, that it couldn't happen and you couldn't, you know. And I'm, I'm older now, and I realize that the Lord is so much bigger than that. And sometimes he does heal, and sometimes he doesn't, and I don't know why. You know, what I was thinking about just now was I, I used to represent this band called Cutlass, and we had two songs. This is the tale of two songs. One was a song called What Faith Can Do, and it went giant, and it was pl- a gold record. And we were, The single right after that was Even If the Healing Never Comes, and it tanked. <laughs> Radio didn't want to play it. Uh, because it didn't feel hopeful to them. It didn't feel, and so, but both are true. <laughs> and so it's, the problem is, is that the truth isn't very commercially viable sometimes. And I was just thinking in terms of that, that a service like this, you, know, this feel, you might walk out feeling kind of heavy today because of this, and I don't mean to throw a blanket of heaviness over you. If anything, I mean, my hope would be that we've just literally taken the blanket off of you and to walk out in the freedom that even if the healing doesn't come, that he's still God, that he's, you know, and that's so true because at the end of, at the end of this life, it says this world will burn, everything will fall away. That will, and I, I'm, in my mind's eye, I can see us sitting around campfires in heaven. I don't know if they'll have them, but I'm fairly certain. You know, in the new heaven and the new earth, right, that this, this promise of us that this will be like this distant memory of we'll tell war stories like old remember you get down to like the Gary's cafe of your hometown and those old world war ii vets and tell stories oh man you took that right in the arm and you walked away from it you know i feel like that we'll have those stories in eternity and this will just feel like this other world for us and greg would you um let's stand to our feet greg would you i'm asking you to pray for us i was gonna pray for you but I just feel like, you know, you, you have been with God in a way that I haven't been uh, and would love for you to just pray for us. And before you do that, tell us how we can follow along with you. I know you're on Facebook, but you've got to be close to your max friend count. But how can we follow your story? Yeah, right now, just, again, Facebook is what he said. I, by the way, I feel like a, a teenage girl posting on Facebook, you know. <laughs> But, but I did that because of the fact that, that of the reach and people from high school and from college and, and all it is, it's just experiences, uh, what I see Jesus doing. And it, I, so often, I, and you'll know, but I, I'm just talking about Jesus. I just don't call it that, you know. So anyway, I'd encourage you to go there. Uh, pray. Are we praying? Are we yeah, praying us out? Are we, you just pray for us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're got to go. Got it. <laughs> but we'll, be, we'll do this again in about 15 minutes. So. Got it. Got it. <laughs> God, thank you so much for uh, loving us, for caring for us, for just meeting all of our needs and and just most of all of our wants. Uh, I pray, God, that we will use the experiences that you give us, whether it's cancer or a trip to Haiti or a trip to the wrong part of Nashville, to see that we truly are blessed and we're given a ton and to whom much is given, much is required. I pray that every person in this room, including myself, will live at a pace where we truly can hear your voice and sense your promptings and that we will live in obedience to what it is that you ask us to do because that's where we find ultimate joy.
And I pray, I pray that for each of us. I pray that we will be the church, that what happens here today is great. Uh, this is a great service, and it's a great time to see our friends and all of that. But I pray that we will be the church in our homes, in our places of work, in our schools that we're attending, and just in everything that we do. I pray that each of us will come alive, and that, that frankly, people will look at us and say, what's different about you? And that we'll have the privilege to share. So thanks again for loving us and for caring for us. Thanks for everything that you allow us to experience. But most of all, thank you for Jesus. And I pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen.